Welcome to Leadership Conversations, the podcast of the Sustainability Board, where we explore the latest insights in sustainable leadership, ESG practices, and corporate governance. Each month, we bring you insightful interviews with business and civil society leaders, educators, and advisors who are at the forefront of driving sustainable change. We delve into the challenges, strategies, and innovations that are transforming businesses and boards. Join us as we uncover thought-provoking discussions and actionable insights that will inspire you to take your own leadership journey towards a sustainable future. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast and be part of our growing community committed to making a positive impact. Visit our website at boardreport.org for additional resources and stay up to date with the latest reports, intelligence and conversations. Welcome to a new episode of Leadership Conversations. Today we feature Frank White. Frank is an educator, writer, and communications consultant. He has authored or co-authored numerous books on topics ranging from space exploration to artificial intelligence to Zen Buddhism. His best known work is The Overview Effect, Space Exploration and Human Evolution. He is the co-founder, president, and board chair of the Human Space Program. Great honor to be talking to you today. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Perhaps we can get started to talk about the person, Frank White, first, before we talk about your work. I read somewhere that you are referring to yourself as a space philosopher. So what is that exactly, and how did you get into this line of work? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because I do want to be clear about what I mean with that term. I actually gave a talk at one of my college reunions called The Making of a Space Philosopher. And I pointed out to my classmates, I really only took one class in philosophy here and I didn't do that well. <laughs> It was an evolution, really. What happened was this, after the Challenger accident, I, like many people, was shocked, and I was watching a program called This Week with David Brinkley. Tom Wolfe was on, and he was the author of The Right Stuff, of course. And one of the panelists said, it was George Will, who said, Mr. Wolfe, aren't we giving somewhat banal reasons for going into outer space like no-stick frying pans? And Wolfe said, you're right. You're exactly right. We've never had a philosophy of space exploration. I was finishing up the overview effect at the time, and I thought, yeah, we don't. And I don't know any space philosophers, so I will take on the job. And I always try to say space philosopher because I've more or less adopted this title, and I always worry that I'm going to be talking to a person who's actually trained in the discipline of philosophy. However, I would say one last thing about it. I am most interested in philosophy as a way of thinking and acting in the world, rather than the abstraction of phenomenology, ontology, and so on. So that's the kind of philosophy I'm working on And I did write a book called The Cosma Hypothesis, which is an effort on my part to create a new philosophy of space exploration, because 
whoever does it, and it may well be a, another space philosopher, we need to approach space exploration and space migration in a different way from the way we have explored planet Earth. And now I would love to speak about what has become your most popular notion, the overview effect. I mentioned to you just before this recording, I heard it first from Al Gore as he was talking about the blue marble. You yeah. have written a book about it. It is now a well-known term. So tell us, what is the overview effect exactly? There's also an interesting story and, and an evolutionary story. The overview effect, as it's come to be defined, is first and foremost an experience. It is an experience, as we look at it today, of astronauts, cosmonauts, and other space travelers as they look at the Earth from space and in space on a suborbital hop or an orbital mission or even going to the moon. And they have a shift in awareness and identity and consciousness that can be quite profound. Interestingly, it started as an experience that I had. Back in the 70s and 80s, I was involved in the Space Studies Institute founded by Gerard K. O'Neill. And we were thinking about people who would be living permanently off of planet Earth in self-contained communities, non-planetary surfaces, but at Lagrange points between the Earth and the Moon. I was flying cross-country thinking about this idea, looking down at the Earth, and it just hit me like an epiphany. And I said, oh, those people would always have an overview. They would always experience the overview effect. They would see the Earth in the sky. It's a whole system, completely contained and interrelated. And it's a whole system in which we're all connected. It wouldn't be a big deal to them, but it would be important. And of course, there were no such people. There really aren't any today. But I realized astronauts might be good proxies. I started interviewing astronauts, and they confirmed a lot of what I believed would be the case. But there was one big difference. It wasn't ordinary. It was extraordinary. Why? Just as it would be for you or me. They were born on the Earth, raised on the Earth. They went into outer space. They returned to the Earth. So it wasn't something that happened every day. Now, if you live on the International Space Station for a year, you're getting closer to the future space people I had in mind. And so long-term International Space Station astronauts are getting pretty close to the people I was looking at and imagining, looking for and imagining. But that's how the idea came about. And I became so connected to this idea and started writing about it and published the book in 1987. It's become my life's work. And the way that I understand it is basically we're zooming out, right? We're seeing the bigger picture of the world and what is happening. And we're zooming out of our small personal context in where we live, where we work, the countries that we live yeah. in. And obviously, this is a podcast all about sustainability here. So if you compare when you first came up with the notion a few decades ago and now, has the consciousness of society changed overall? And is this more recognized that we need to take a more holistic view on things? Or where is the connection between the overview effect and the sort of sustainability issues that are facing us today? 
I'm old enough to say that there's been a dramatic change. I attribute it to the Apollo missions largely because those missions where astronauts go to the moon, you really do see the Earth as a whole system against the backdrop of the cosmos. You realize, oh, this is all we've got, this beautiful jewel floating in the blackness of the universe. And sustainability becomes urgent, I think, because it is experiential. And even though the vast majority of humans have never had the direct experience, imagery like Earthrise and the blue marble, which were iconic photographs from that period, have made a huge difference. And then subsequent flights have not gone as far, for the most part. But now we have more people, more astronauts coming back, and they talk about the Earth as a spaceship, and they say, we've been on a spaceship. When you're on a spaceship, sustainability is key because you have to preserve and conserve everything. Nothing can go to waste. And you're the crew of that space station or spaceship. Everything depends on you. And Nicole Stott has written a beautiful book. She's in my book as well, wrote the foreword to my most recent edition. And her book is called Back to Earth. And she really lays it out very beautifully that we are crewmates on Spaceship Earth. And it's so hard for us to have that experience. I mean, if we all could have the experience through virtual reality or reading a book or actually going on a commercial space flight, I think the notion of sustainability would become second nature. And I do believe in the 35 years or so since I wrote the book, I've seen a dramatic upswing in use of that term. It's become common, like the overview effect. So it really is deeply embedded in the vernacular. And I just think we need to understand it better. What does it really mean? You touched on an interesting point there right now, and that is that experience. I tried virtual reality myself. I think it was really cool, but it's not the same. So I can envision that it's an absolute change in mindset when you go out there and you see the earth from above. What are the experiences that might be more feasible? Would you actually recommend business leaders or powerful people go to space at some point? Or, or what is it that you recommend to get as close to the overview effect as possible to have that experience? Just about everybody working in the field of the overview effect agrees that it would be really wonderful to have leaders go on a commercial space flight because leaders have such an impact on the world. and. So one of my colleagues, Anahita Nazami, is working on leadership workshops in this area with a number of other colleagues. And the astronauts, more than one, spontaneously talked about summit conferences in orbit and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, it stops there because everybody says, oh, yeah, but you can't take the Secret Service and, you know, the security would be too great and you can't risk the president of the United States. But what about business leaders? What about your audience? What about board members who, if they went and they had this experience, they might make decisions in a different way, more for the common good? You know, their responsibility is to their company. And we know that. 
But there are ways to make decisions on behalf of your country or your company with the common good in mind. So we should think, I believe, of leaders who are perhaps not at the highest level of government, but other levels. I wrote a, a paper about what does it mean that the astronauts say there are no borders or boundaries on the Earth, which they say. Does that mean we should not have borders or boundaries? No, but let's talk about diplomats. I can imagine an American diplomat and a Chinese diplomat negotiating on climate change, which they do. And each one would protect their own country's interests. But whether their bosses knew it or not, they would have this imagery in mind. I mean, think about them going together. What about that? That's possible. You know, there's a stratospheric balloon company called Space Perspective. They're talking about taking eight people at once, and it's going to be a very gentle, easy flight. What about six diplomats or eight diplomats going and having a meeting? It's a six-hour experience. There are a lot of ways we can use it, and virtual reality is also getting better. There's an experience called the infinite that I've heard a lot of good things about, and I've heard people say it's really close to the real thing. What's really important is that something I understood early in writing the first edition of the Overview Effect, we can use space travel as a tool of changing consciousness, not to serve space travel, but to change life on Earth for the better. And we have this amazing tool. and. If we use it, we can really make life much more harmonious and environmentally sustainable and really sustainable in every way right here on the home planet. Sounds like something we need to talk more about. I know there are also people who say, well, can we not just get into mindset? Do people really need to go to space? On that particular challenge, let me ask you this. What are the differences that you observe between people who have been to space, and you met many of those, and those who haven't. How do you spot the differences of people who come back and had that shift? Very good question. One distinction I've made, because this is a question that's asked all the time, I distinguish between the overview and the effect. The overview is literally being in orbit, taking a suborbital hop, going to the moon, and having that perspective. I think being weightless is an important aspect of it because weightlessness affects every organ in your body, and I think it affects the brain. I've heard astronauts saying, I looked out, I saw the bluest of blues, the greenest of greens, the planet was glowing. It's not a normal perception, really, and I don't know that you can get it on the planet itself. So that's one aspect. But then there's the effect, and I immediately, when I started writing about it, I said, this is what spiritual teachers, systems thinkers, and philosophers have been trying to explain to us. We are all part of an interconnected whole. So I, I related it to these experiences. And so I do believe the effect can be very similar to earthbound experiences. And that's a good thing. And there are quite a few of us trying to really do empirical research on what, in what way are they similar. 
And then certainly directly there are analog experiences. I was interviewed by a writer for Canada Air, I guess it's called. And she asked me about my experience and the fact that the whole idea happened on a plane. And she told me that she had heard of five or six people who'd had profound breakthrough insights on an airplane. I think she might have written an article about it. Well, that's good information. It means there are degrees of the experience. And I do worry, though, when people say, I don't think you have to go into outer space to have this experience. And I'll say one last thing, long answer, but I'll say one last thing. I interviewed Sandy Magnus, an astronaut, and I said, what is your takeaway from being an astronaut? She said, the difference between the intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. And when you're an astronaut, you have an experience of something you already, quote unquote, know, but you know it in a different way. That is the biggest difference, I think, is the difference between intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge. And that's the most important aspect of the overview effect for me. Makes total sense to me. And I'll give you an example where I can see the parallels on a little smaller scale. But how I personally got into sustainability in the first place was through volunteering in an educational charity. And it was that experience with young people giving back, helping them finding jobs that did something with me. I think of people who have experiences to connect war with nature now, since we're living more and more in urban areas, going into a forest, climbing a mountain, that does something to you, I think. And I can see how going into outer space does something to you on a much, much bigger scale, of course. I want to spin this a little bit further because you are working now on a new project, uh, which is called Sustainable Space Migration, or SSM. Now, what is that all about? The most important aspect of space travel for now, but even as we move further out into the solar ecosystem, is never forgetting the Earth. And I do want to say anything I say from here on I don't want people to take it as I'm saying, abandon the earth. That is the last thing on my mind. Sustainable space migration has one purpose or one primary purpose. That's to help the earth. There are plenty of studies, and it goes back to the limits to growth studies that were done back in the 60s and 70s at MIT. There are plenty of studies that show we have overshot the carrying capacity of our planet. We're beyond the ability, actually, we're living on borrowed time. We've overshot the carrying capacity and sustainability of Mother Earth. And so, Gerard K. O'Neill, whom I mentioned at the beginning, a large part of his vision of self-sustaining space communities had to do with moving people and industry off of the planet into the larger ecosystem out there. And the Earth is part of that ecosystem. It's not at all separate. But if you could encourage migration, and it would, it would have to be voluntary to make it work, if you could encourage sustainable migration off of the planet, I am of the opinion it could be very beneficial and give the Earth a chance to recover. And my organization, the Human Space Program, is working on a model computer model to demonstrate the potential benefits of sustainable space migration. We're in the early stages. We don't have it ready yet, but I see this 
as an environmental activity and not a space activity only. And so one of the biggest problems, though, that we have is going back to what I said before. The current perception is leaving the planet is abandoning the planet. And I've said often, no, leaving the planet can be an act of love. We humans are sort of like the kids who are still living in the basement of their mom's house. And Mother loves you. Mother Earth loves us. But it would benefit her if we uh, found our own home, you know. And uh, so I do believe this is important. And the Human Space Program's mission is sustainable, ethical, and inclusive evolution of humanity into the solar ecosystem. That's what we're all about. And it's all about inclusion, ethics, and sustainability. Frank, allow me a last question before we get to the end. I was thinking about this a lot, and there are a lot of, shall we call them, detractors in the sustainability community or people who say, we shouldn't go to space, we shouldn't go to Mars, you know, let's focus on the problems that we have here on Earth. And whereas I agree that we need to focus on the problems that we have here on Earth, I'm always uh, thinking, let's assume we look forward into the year 2030 or 2050 when the most targets are set at this point. And we have all the sustainable goals achieved, you know, it, everything that heating is below one and a half degrees and everything is exactly how we wanted it to be. And then what? Then we're thinking about, so what could we do next? I mean, it is in, intrinsic in every person, I would assume, in every human to explore and go out. And obviously, these things don't happen in sequence. Now, you could argue, do we need to go to space today or is it enough in 20 years' time? But yes, of course, at some point, you have to start, right? Would you agree that we will never stop trying to explore and we need to learn to solve our problems in tandem rather than in sequence and innovate? Oh, absolutely. I do want to emphasize it's not either or. We should do everything we can to deal with climate change, to deal with all of the challenges we have on planet Earth. And one of the things that we have is the wrong mindset. We don't have the overview. I do think disseminating the overview will help because we need a collaborative, cooperative mindset to achieve the sustainable development goals of the UN. I'm actually part of a coalition, or my organization's part of a coalition, to add space as an 18th sustainable development goal, because we believe that the other 17 can be better achieved if what I call the fourth dimension is there. So it should not be either or. We should do everything we can to help the Earth. But in answer to your question, let's just say by 2030, we achieved those 17 goals. What would we do? Well, migration is a human behavior. There will still be those who want to migrate if there are communities off the planet. There will still be explorers. There will always be those people. And there's even been a pretty good research on the idea that 20% of the population have an explorer gene. That genetic predisposition is not connected to going into outer space. It's actually connected more to risk-taking, but it may turn into being a medical researcher. It may turn into being a race car driver, but it might also turn into being an astronaut. And the other thing we have to understand, exploration is evolution. It, it will change us. 
in a positive way. We will see things in a new and different light. And periods of great exploration physically have always led to periods of exploration in the arts and in science and in other fields. Everything is a whole system. So the more exploration, the more transformation. And so I believe, you know, most of my friends want a Star Trek future. What is the Star Trek future? It starts with all the problems of Earth have been solved. There's no money. There are things called replicators. You want a cup of coffee, you tell the replicator. And Star Trek is all about exploring. And so that's going to go on. That will happen. And it will be liberating and wonderful. And if we can get there, it'll be a golden age. And it just encourages me to live a lot longer. And of course, William Shatner, who has played Captain Kirk or Admiral Kirk for a long time, he just recently went to space and came back and said, in my wildest dreams, I could have not imagined that it is so fascinating as it is. And I think he also talked about the overview effect. He does. And just quickly, I would say he had a profound experience. And people can look at it on YouTube and everyone should watch Chatner. If they have doubts about the experience, just watch that. It's short, profound. And of course, SDG 18 space, the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Uh, you certainly have my vote for it. So, so good luck with that um, advocacy. I could speak to you for hours, Frank, but we want to get to two questions that we ask every guest here. We've never broken this rule. What is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on yourself or society at large? Well, I'm going to talk about someone who is not well known, I suppose, outside of the space community, but his name is Dylan Taylor. He also flew on Blue Origin. He is the founder of Space for Humanity, which is a nonprofit. And I do want to encourage anybody who'd like to have the experience, you can compete for it. And Space for Humanity will send you on a flight and you're supposed to come back and do something for the planet, ideally connected to the SDGs. Dylan founded that. He's also founded Voyager Space, which is a private space company. He's been active in both the private and nonprofit world. And he's also my publisher. He has been a wonderful publisher and he published the fourth edition of The Overview Effect. And he's been a benefactor, a supporter, and a person who has not only helped me, but many, many other people in the field. And I just admire his ability to advance the cause, but always with sustainability, ethics, and inclusion in mind. And you can see my before and after interviews with him on YouTube, or you can hear in a podcast called Space Philosophy. Dylan Taylor, we'll look that up. And then lastly, Frank, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and start applying today to set them up for more positive societal impact? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do this. The astronauts talk about you don't go to space for yourself. And even though they are remarkable, incredible people, they all feel an obligation to share their story for the good of humanity. And I think the one piece of advice I would give is that leadership is not for yourself. It's to empower those who are following you, put them first, help them to achieve the vision 
you may well be the visionary, but nobody can do anything on this planet or in outer space alone. And I think the advice I would give and the leadership skill I try to cultivate is it's not about me. It's about those who are helping me to do something for the betterment of our world. I must admit the last 40 minutes or so have been a great experience for me. So thanks for sharing this with us, sharing it with our audience and, you know, not doing this for you, but for humanity. But I have a very last question about Frank White, and that is, when are you going to space? I can't tell you when because I don't know exactly. But And I can't tell you everything about my project because not everything's been announced yet. But to outline it, my project is I would like to go on all of the major carriers and document the experience in terms of how each of these carriers, Space Perspective, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, how do they produce the overview effect? How do they produce the effect? And I'd in particular like to be sure that, again, it's not for me, but it's for all of us to understand how we can use this remarkable power we have to influence and change people and society for the better. And I think the time has come, not a joy ride for Frank, because Frank deserves it. I don't. But for society, it's time for me to stop standing on the shoulders of giants like the astronauts. And it's time for me to, to take that one giant step myself. Safe travels, Frank. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was a great pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. I enjoyed it too. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our podcast and be part of our growing community committed to making a positive impact. Visit our website at boardreport.org for additional resources and stay up to date with the latest reports, intelligence and conversations.